0: You're an FBI agent. You swore an oath to the Constitution to protect it against all enemies, foreign and domestic. You were given a badge, entrusted with great power, and the responsibility of protecting the American people from criminals, terrorists, and spies. The pay wasn't great. You had to move to a new field office every few years and put up with the FBI's legendary red tape, but you believed in the mission of the Bureau. You kept your head down, focused on catching bad guys, and stayed out of politics. In return, you had the gratitude of the public and the backing of your government and president. Until now. Far from supporting the FBI, Donald Trump has tried to undermine it and compromise its independence. First, he sought a loyalty oath from James Comey and pressured him to drop the Bureau's investigation into National Security Advisor Mike Flynn's ties to Russia. Then he fired Comey and later called him a nut job to the Russian foreign minister. He's denigrated the entire organization, tweeting that its reputation was in tatters. Trump's Republican allies in Congress have gone along for the ride calling the Bureau corrupt and in the grips of pro-Hillary Clinton's secret cabals. Today, in the face of these political attacks on the FBI, polls show an increasing number of Americans are questioning the trustworthiness of the country's premier law enforcement agency. What will that mean for this storied institution and the 13,000 rank-and-file agents charged with protecting the security of the nation? This week on Skullduggery, the FBI under siege. We'll talk to the former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, an ex-FBI agent himself, who is anguished about the future of the Bureau and the damage his former colleagues on Capitol Hill may be doing to an institution he loves dearly. And we'll also get the perspective of another longtime Bureau veteran, Don Robinson, who served as the FBI's legal attache in Moscow.
1: There is absolutely no collusion. I didn't make a phone call to Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. Everybody knows it. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The British government has learned that
2: Saddam Hussein recently sought significant quantities of uranium from Africa. How Many times do I have to answer this question? Can you just say Russia yes no is no a ruse? Michael Iskov, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News.
0: And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News.
2: And we are here today to talk about the impact on the FBI of the political warfare going on in Washington over the Russia investigation. And I think, uh, Dan, it's fair to say that the FBI is really on edge right now. Um, you've had relentless Republican attacks uh, about the way the bureau handled the um, FISA surveillance warrant on Carter Page, a former foreign policy advisor to Donald Trump. Um, You had the FBI director, Christopher Wray, and the deputy attorney general plead with the White House not to release that Republican memo last week in which we here at Yahoo figured uh, prominently um, and um, the White House ignored uh, what they had to say, released it anyway. Now the Democrats are pushing for a release of their counter memo. Um, and um, we don't know how this is going to play out at this. Point. And,
0: all, and, you know, during all of this, the FBI is is in the crosshairs, is in the middle of this a very uncomfortable place for FBI agents uh, to be. They you know, they want to stay out of politics. But let's Remember, you know, you just cited the most recent uh, episodes, uh, but we have a president who fired uh, his FBI director uh, not long after taking office, who has
2: his press secretary said the FBI was suffering from low morale and people were cheering? And then just this week, our former colleague Ben Wittes got a hold of uh, over 100 pages of internal emails from the FBI in which everybody was praising Comey after he was. Well, tired.
0: that's right, and it points up that that uh, you know presidents who. Are critical of the FBI, and and no one has been this overtly and baldly critical of the FBI as Donald Trump. But when they do, they are playing with fire because the FBI, uh, you and I have covered the bureau for you know decades now, um, is a pretty insular and proud institution, and FBI agents uh, tend to rally around uh, the bureau and and rally around each other. And you know one of the things that those um, uh, those emails showed uh, that that Ben and 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 his organization, Lawfare, was able to get, uh, uh, you know, by by filing a FOIA request, uh, was that agents were actually taking, you know, pictures of uh, of Comey and putting them on their desk. I actually think the Washington Post had reported that, but this confirmed uh, how individual agents, brick agents as they're known, um, you know, were really. Uh, angry, uh, about how Comey was treated. He was actually pretty popular inside the organization as someone who was, uh, loyal, um, uh, to the, uh, to the institution and loyal to the individual agents themselves. Um, and you don't, you know, it's, it's sort of a hornet's nest because the FBI also has an enormous amount of power and FBI and, 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 and knows how to op- how to operate in Washington, uh, pretty effectively. Um, So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how all of that plays out. A
2: a couple of points here. First of all, it is a bit um, uh, strange to hear uh, the White House and Republican attacks on the Bureau as being some kind of, uh, you know, uh, liberal uh, secret society that was plotting to get Donald Trump, Uh, especially if you just, you know, look back and remember. The fall of uh, 2016, when the, there was such ferocious criticism of Jim Comey uh, uh, intervening in the election on behalf of uh, uh, the way the Democrats saw it on behalf of Trump by uh, uh, writing that fa- notorious letter well, they, they, uh, about they, the reopening of the Hillary Clinton email investigation. Right. And, and back know, then, you know, um, know. D-
0: Democrats were literally talking about um, anti-Hillary cabals uh, yeah, yeah. inside the FBI. Right, right. So, and, and it just you, you points go, up, yeah. Sure,
2: and you go back further in the days after 9-11, uh, the, the attacks on the FBI over its use of the uh, Patriot Act, uh, uh, rounding up Muslim suspects, using informants to entrap them. I mean, this was, there was a constant criticism from the left over the uh, perceived FBI FBI's excesses in the war on terror. Um, and then
0: of course going
2: back to COINTELPRO Pro sure. days
0: blackback jobs um, and um, you know in the in, you know, during the Vietnam War um, and you know uh, also on the right we both covered uh, Ruby Ridge and, and Waco um, uh, when uh, the FBI was uh, you know considered to be out of control and you know part of a big you know government conspiracy to take away people's freedom but, but again, um, you know, in, in, in that case, we were talking about kind of a fringe um, element of, of the right, um, the kind of black helicopter crowd, which had some representation in Congress um, uh, in some ways, but it was not um, sort of the main, mainstream elements of the party, and it certainly wasn't the president uh, going after the entire organization and, and going after his own leadership. I mean, right. you know, he's going after people that he's appointed, you know. He he appointed Chris Ray and um
2: he appointed Chris Ray, he appointed Rod Rosenstein who signed off on one of the renewals of the uh Carter Page FISA application. So, um uh that is um that is a bit odd uh to have the president now because he's defending himself and his Republican allies backing him up uh, to be... uh, casting the fbi in this in this way but we should also mention there's another scandal brewing in washington uh, right now and that is over the fact that the staff secretary rob porter has been forced to resign after it's been revealed that um he was a wife beater uh his two ex-wives uh both accused him of um of, of domestic violence. And this was something that was known to the FBI because they were doing the background check on him and known to people in the White House. The question is, I think, right now, because he worked most directly for John Kelly, the chief of staff, what did John Kelly know and when did he know it?
0: And, you know, Rob Porter, not a household name, uh, but a pretty powerful guy. This is the guy who controls the paper flow uh, to the president of the United States. And so it turns out um, that he's been operating all this time at the White House without a background clearance because of these allegations about wife beating. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's well, it's been reported uh, and it's hard to believe that this wouldn't be the case, that the, that the FBI brought this to the attention of the White House. Um, it, it, it's hard also to imagine that this did not rise up to the level of, of, of John Kelly. Um, but he came out, um, uh, early when, when, you know, yesterday and, and he defended, uh, Rob Porter. And then, uh, they start backpedaling, particularly when these awful pictures emerged of his fist, first wife of Porter's first wife with a black eye. Um, and then, uh, late yesterday, uh, there was a second uh, statement from John Kelly about this new information, um, and uh, then distancing himself from um, from Porter. And now Porter uh, has resigned and is is leaving the White House. But a lot of questions about right. this, and um, you know the classic you know uh, scandal uh, question: what, what did he know, and when did he know it? And I don't think this is a story that's going to go away quickly.
2: I should point out, just very quickly, I had a longtime Donald Trump advisor, loyal Donald Trump advisor, uh, uh, who I spoke to today, who's just really uh, appalled at this and says it's amazing that Rob Porter would have had access to the most classified black box programs that the U.S. government conducts all this time without having a security
0: clearance. You know, what an irony, given that uh, uh, Donald Trump uh, rode to the presidency in some ways on the Hil- Hillary Clinton email scan, right?
2: Right, right. Uh, I mean, One of many ironies here. All right, we are joined now by Don Robinson, a uh, former FBI agent, veteran, uh, who also served as the FBI's legate in Moscow. Uh, Don, welcome to Skullduggery.
3: Thank you, happy to be here.
2: Um, so we are talking about the impact on the FBI uh, of the uh, from the ferocious attacks by the White House and uh, its Republican allies in Congress. Um, as you are watching uh, what's going on in Washington right now with the bureau right in the middle of this you know, political warfare between uh, Democrats and Republicans over the uh, Russia investigation, what. What do you make of it? What goes through your mind and how, what impact do you think it's having on the FBI?
3: Sure. Well, I mean, it's upsetting. Uh, you know, you spend that much time in an organization, you're vested in it, you believe in the mission and 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 to hear, you know, allegations being made, uh, you, know, you know, we in the FBI pride ourselves on being unbiased, independent finders of fact. And, and to hear that legacy called into question, I, I mean, it's upsetting. Now that that all that being said, we need a, a healthy and robust, independent oversight, but we have that. and And what what concerns me and some of the other uh, uh, retired agents that've I've spoken with is, is when politics gets ahead of that oversight process, um, we in the FBI are big believers in in procedure and protocol, and, and, and we, have, we have that. We have a protocol. Let's let the the oversight system work and and let's let investigations play out and the chips fall where they may. Uh, I mean, if there was misconduct within the FBI, then uh, I I don't think anybody has ever accused uh, the FBI or the Department of Justice of having a gentle disciplinary system. So, I, I mean... You know, if there was misconduct, that's going to be found out and it'll be
2: dealt with. The FBI has come under you know withering criticism in the past. Certainly, you know, the disclosures about J. Edgar Hoover's abuses over the years. Uh, there was plenty of criticism about um, uh, the War on Terror and the Patriot Act. And uh, You know, from time to time, the FBI does get caught in the crosshairs. But do you have a sense that what's going on now is is different than that and in some ways more serious
3: yeah i get the sense now i mean, I mean we've weathered those storms before and, and there have been times where the fbi you know you know had to answer some hard questions up here in north idaho this is you know we we had a lot of questions about the incident at ruby ridge and and that still resonates through the region here and and uh, you know, the organization had to, had to, had to take a look at, at that, uh, you know, questions that come out of Waco, policies and procedures and how we handle certain things. But we become stronger as we come out of the other end of that. We're a better FBI because of that robust oversight capability, because of our own internal analysis of of what went wrong. And, and we build a better FBI that way. What's different this time is, is at least from a government governmental point of view that this, this is a kind of a self-inflicted wound. We have, uh, members of the government, of Congress, of the executive branch who are the ones criticizing the FBI. And, and I, I, that's not improper, but we already have a procedure to do that. We already have uh, in the inspector general's office. We have congressional oversight. We have all of that. So it, it, it's a little distressing to, to see people in leadership, uh, um
0: come out for the headline so let, let's get more specific uh, uh Isikoff and I both covered Ruby Ridge we remember that period well there was a lot of criticism of the FBI there was a fair amount in Congress but most of the criticism was coming from kind of a more fringe element um, in at that point uh, of the of the right um, kind of reflecting uh, some of the kind of black helicopter and and hardcore libertarian uh uh, you know elements of 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 conservatism. Um, you even though there was tension between uh, the then president Clinton and the then FBI director uh, Louis Free, you did not have the president of the United States, uh, you know, attacking the FBI as an institution, attacking, uh, you know, firing FBI directors uh, in the way that uh, that President Trump uh, uh, fired Comey. It seems to be a different moment, in in large part because the president of the United States has taken on the FBI. Isn't isn't that the big difference here?
3: Well, yeah, I think so. And, and FBI directors have been fired. When I first started my career, uh, Director Sessions was let go for some some ethical lapses there. So,
2: it's, by the uh, way, that's William Sessions, not Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General. Just to be clear, who may right.
0: get fired as well, <laughs> yeah, but
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll wait and see. Yeah.
0: You're absolutely right. This comes down
3: uh, from the top and it's distressing, uh, frankly. I mean, you know, I don't know uh, when the executive branch kind of became that cannibalistic here. I mean, you know, we need to call out misconduct and we need to uh, we need to build better institutions. We need to learn from mistakes. We need to learn from shortcomings. But uh, I I don't know that we need to uh, attack ourselves. Uh, in
2: order to do it. Don, you were... Uh, uh, what What years were you in Moscow?
3: I was there from uh, uh, 2012 through
2: 2015. 2015, right, uh, during a time when... Um uh, a lot was going on. Vladimir Putin uh, returned to the presidency, uh, uh, annexed Crimea, uh, intervened in Ukraine. Sanctions were imposed. Uh, tensions were building between the U.S. and Russia. Um, how did that uh, affect you trying to do your job at the time?
3: Well, yeah, it, 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 it's difficult. you got to remember the function of the legal attaches, though. We are Uh, We don't have law enforcement authority over there. We don't conduct investigations. It's truly a liaison position. So, uh, you know, we're not over there exercising any kind of investigative authority. We're we're essentially guests in the country, and we're we're a point of contact for the exchange of information.
2: How did this affect the... the, the the tensions between the U.S. and Russia at the time, um, uh, did that have any material effect on what you were doing there? It
3: it, it did, but we were coming off of a period of, of relatively good comp- uh, cooperation uh, around the Sochi Olympics. Um, I, I think you started to sense kind of a change uh, as I was leaving. Frankly, I left in, in June of 2015, and, and by then— you know, the th- we were, that was really at the front end of sanctions and and, and the entire uh, you know diplomatic mission over there. We're we're trying to navigate through. Uh, you know, you can't just cut off all contact with them. So so how are we going? What, what liaison contacts are we going to maintain? What programs, bilateral programs, are we going to continue with and not? Um, and and I think everybody on all sides felt that you know counterterrorism, frankly, was something that uh, would transcend. Uh, the counterterrorism cooperation would transcend any kind of sanctions or problems. So we still try to keep those those avenues open, those dialogues open. But, but definitely that the, the, there was background tension. Um, I can't imagine what it's like now. I can't imagine what it was like uh, six months after I left.
2: What's your uh, what's your bottom line take on the Russia investigation being conducted conducted by your former boss, Bob Mueller? I,
3: I think he has an impeccable recommendation or reputation, and, and uh, I'm, I'm interested as anybody else to see where it's going to go. Uh, it, it, it's, again, we need to respect process. It's going to be slow. It's going to be methodical uh, because you we need to lay that foundation. It's one thing to have an allegation, uh, but you've got to be able to back it up. You've got to prove it, and, and you've got to find that evidence. Uh, there's an old saying with the trial attorneys. You know, it's not what you know. It's what you can prove. And, and I think that needs to be the focus of, of his investigation. I'm, I'm very curious to see where it ends up.
2: Do you think Mueller is going to do this slowly, methodically, and we, we're going to have to wait for some time to get the um, the final results, if there are any final results? Uh,
3: yeah, I wish I had a crystal ball. That's, that, that's a good question. Uh, what I know, you remember, Director Mueller was the director for the bulk of my career, and I... You know, I, I'm not going to sit here and claim any personal knowledge with him uh, uh, or knowledge of him. But uh, by reputation, what we saw and I know what he his vision for, for the FBI as an agency was slow, methodical, accurate. Uh, yeah, we're going to act quickly when we need to act quickly. But uh, uh, when it comes to finding fact and 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 conducting investigations, we're
0: not going to cut corners either. And, and that's his reputation. Hey Don, um thank you for your time. We're going to we're going to end it here. Just one last question. I want to come back to where we started and I want to get your sense of how worried you are about the future of the bureau uh given that it has been under uh political attack uh from uh, both the executive branch and some elements in Congress and that you know it it is it is I think as we discussed before in some ways worse than it's ever been. Or do you think the bureau is a you know a highly resilient organization that's going to get through this? You know, how concerned are you?
3: Yeah. Well, the, the FBI is a resilient organization, and, and the FBI will get through this. And, and my hope is that on the backside of this, wherever that is, we're going to end up with a, a stronger, more resilient FBI. Um, it's a painful period, and and it's a painful period, uh, uh, and and there's some. Logical questions. I think you know morale inside. Uh, I can't imagine what that's like right now. I, I would be. Uh, it, it's tough when you feel like you're under siege, and I think it's even tougher when you're under siege by your government. and And, and I think that 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 would that would be hard for me uh, to bear. when you When you look at uh, what happened with uh, Deputy Director McKay, but look, I I don't know him. I met him once. I don't know if there was misconduct there or not, but uh, he's not a Necessarily a public official, he's a very senior civil servant, but he's a civil servant, and um, I think what happened to him was a public lynching. And and uh, you know, there already was an investigative process going on there. Apparently, there's an inspector general report there looking at his role in in the Clinton investigation. Let's let that process play out. Um, if, you, if you look at it, what really bothers me about that, again, and I, I don't know whether he committed misconduct or not. I don't know the man, but but. If you think about it this way, the criminals, terrorists, and drug dealers that the FBI arrests are afforded more due process than McCabe was. And that disturbs me.
2: Um, pretty uh, uh, pretty important insight you're uh, sharing with us there. Uh, Don Robinson, thanks for joining us on Skullduggery. I hope you'll come back.
3: Great. Thank you. Happy to be
2: here. Wow, those were pretty strong comments by uh, Don Robinson, a public lynching of Andrew McCabe, who was the deputy director of the FBI.
0: I thought it was really interesting, and I think reflective of what uh, we talked about before, uh, that when the White House uh, takes on uh, the FBI, the FBI uh, knows how to fight back and will fight back. Um, And it is, as I said, uh, an insular institution, they are very proud, uh, and they protect their own when they are under attack. And this is not, you know, Don Robinson is not someone in the FBI's leadership who is rally or, rallying around, you know, one of his colleagues. This was a rank-and-file agent um, who uh, was feeling burned uh, by, um, uh, by, by the White House, and I think the Uh, The White House is is, uh, you know, going to be hearing a lot more from from agents about um, this kind of thing.
2: All right. Well, uh, after this quick break, um, we're going to come back with the perspective of another former FBI agent, Mike Rogers, who also happened to have been the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. We are joined now by Mike Rogers, the former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and a former FBI agent himself. Um, Welcome, Mr. Chairman.
1: Mike, thanks for having me.
2: So you made, during your years as uh, the leader of the House Intelligence Committee, bipartisanship was your hallmark. You really tried hard to um, have a bipartisan consensus on everything the Intelligence Committee did looking at it now, there seems to be a complete collapse of bipartisanship. How disappointing is this for you?
1: Well, it's very disappointing. Uh, Dust Rupersberger, my ranking member, a Democrat from Maryland, uh, and I decided when I was named chairman and he was named ranking member, uh, that we were just going to do things differently. And and, uh, we thought that the national security work that we were doing in classified space was a significant responsibility because it's classified. It's not things you can talk about. So we sat down and really changed the structure. We made Republican and Democrat appointed staff brief together, write memos together, which was kind of, you know, earth shattering at the time. And because we believe we'd get a better, more accurate product and let them and we were going to set the pace about, hey, this we need to come to a conclusion here. Doesn't mean we're not going to always agree. But it does mean that we're going to try to work through it. And I think, you know, it was, it worked out to the country's best interest because we had robust oversight of the intelligence community. They actually got to where they could pick up the phone and call us and say, hey, we have a problem. We think something got screwed up. Uh, can we come up and talk to you about it? That's really where you want to be, because then we could help fix it. It was all still in classified space. They knew we weren't going to throw it on a memo and then run out to the microphone and tell the world what just happened.
2: All right. Look, you worked with Devin Nunes and Adam Schiff. They were both on the committee when you were there. What's gone wrong and who do you blame?
1: Uh, Candidly, I blame both of them. This is it takes two to tango. Uh, And so when, you know, when one party comes out and says we have a memo that that will certainly allow you to hang everybody in the FBI, uh, and now we find out it's not all the information that was available to them, that's a problem. When you have uh, the minority and, and uh, shift coming out to the microphone saying, hey, I, saw, I can't tell you, I just saw a classified uh, document, I can't tell you what's in it, but I will say it, boy, it lo- really looks bad for the president. That's not helpful. And so all of that just kept ramping up and ramping up, and now you have dueling political memoranda uh, that is serves to confuse. I certainly, you know, in a political gunfight like this, there are a couple of victims. One is credibility, and the other one is likely the truth. So, and so, both of those are problems.
0: So it's the uh, it's Stan Clydeman, it's uh, chairman. It's the opposite of what you tried to institute. You were getting them to write memos uh, uh, together, and now they're writing these dueling memos. I want to get back to the memos in a second, but. One of the things that you said when you left Congress about the sort of you know basic threat to bipartisanship was the media environment and particularly the rise of social media, uh, which kind of favors accuracy over over uh, speed over accuracy, glibness over substance. And um, with this memo, this whole release the memo hashtag, uh, which you know was fueled by Russian you know Twitter bots, uh, uh, but also uh, uh, you know kind of far right. Uh, Trump supporters. Um, how worried are you about, you know, sort of social media uh, disinformation campaigns? How corrosive do you think that is to democracy? You know, both both uh, fueled by the left and the right.
1: No, clearly it's it's fueled on both sides of this and we shouldn't fool ourselves to think it's not. Uh, I worry about affirm, uh, affirmation news in general. If uh, I'm going to go to the place that tells me what I want to hear, I am going to go in social media and believe the things uh, uh, that some people say, knowing full well that that's probably not the whole story. That affirmation news mentality, I think, is going to be very corrosive to us. And what it does is it allows the Russians, who have been, by the way, trying to sow chaos in the United States for years. Uh, they used to do it in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Even the 2000s, they used to, you know, do it the old-fashioned way. They'd send a spy somewhere. They try to bribe a, a reporter to get a favorable story. They try to bribe a politician to cause problems in the party. They create these factions within political parties to try to sow chaos. All of that is, is was part of their information influence in and opera, uh, in operations. We watched them do that for years. Uh, in the 60s, they tried to paint America as a horribly racist place, and you can see with the burnings in these cities that America is a terrible place, a racist place. Well, think about what they did in this last uh, go-round. They, they used to have to do that the old-fashioned way with leaflets and other uh, influence mechanisms. Now they can get into you on your personal device that's in your pocket or your laptop at home in a way they never had access before. And I argue it was a pretty influential campaign that they ran. You know, it's debatable yep. if it changed the outcome of the election, but what it certainly did is pit division in America, and they're continuing to do it. And one last piece on this. When the Russians come out and and use this dueling memo issue and say, see this, they are admitting there was a conspiracy by the secret services, and that's code word for their intelligence services, their secret services to undermine the president of the United States, right? And that's the narrative that they run down the street waving to make it difficult for people to cooperate with our FBI and CIA overseas. That's the piece that gets lost in this really sharp edged partisanship in the national security space.
2: Yet uh, Mr. Chairman, it's your own former Republican colleagues who seem to be downplaying the, uh, the, the, Russian role in the investigation. Um, they've, you know, taken up arms as essentially the defense Uh, defending the president and not aggressively pursuing the full extent of the Russian influence campaign in 2016. How do you explain that?
1: Well, I, I think there's two things going on. I do think that the president is angry and passionately angry at this notion that he didn't win the race fair and square, that he didn't go out and people came to the booth and voted for him for a whole series of issues. And I think that did happen. And I think he can't get over the fact that when people say, you know, the Russians were trying to meddle in our campaigns, he takes that as, I didn't win fair and square, you're attacking me personally. And everything in that town got conflated around that issue. And I think that's dangerous. I think the president has every right to say, I won this thing fair and square, you may not like it, you may not like the people that voted for me, but I want it fair and square, and he, this is my issue sets to help get uh, America going in this direction. I think that's legitimate. What happens is now all of uh, the party and other folks who have circled around this notion that it's all BS have lost focus on what the Russians were actually trying to do. And I think, you know, that's this is a casualty again, it's collateral damage in a very partisan fight. Uh, and I, you know, I think the president would do well to get up and say, listen, I won fair and square. I am worried about what the Russians are doing. And by the way, their administration put sanctions on. They sold defensive weapons in Ukraine. This is a big change in policy from the last eight years that I argue is more aggressive to Russia than we've been in probably 20 years. But because of all these shenanigans, they can't even take credit for it. I don't think they know how to take credit. for
2: You were the, uh, uh, the head of the president's national security transition team uh, until the last uh, week or so, I believe. Did you see or hear anything that was concerning to you at the time about the contacts that Mike Flynn and others were having with the Russians during the transition?
1: Yeah, so there's two things that happened. There is uh, Congress passed a law a few years ago that said, hey, you know, we only have something like 72 days between when the president is elected uh, and they say, you know, they take the oath of office. And in that, they have to, uh, you know, outfit their government. They have to make all of these appointments, some 6,000 of them, and all their key appointments. There's some policy differences that they want to change. So the, the, the Congress said, we're going to have an official uh, transition team. The Re- Democrats had one and the Republicans had one. I was asked to head up the national security portfolio in the Republican uh, transition, if you will, and it's a very policy-oriented thing. I had nothing to do with the campaign. I didn't, you know, I knew Mike Flynn from my experience as chairman, but they were out, up in New York doing their thing. They even had their own national security advisors that they announced, completely separate from what I was doing. So I didn't get to see any of that, uh, and I think they know if I would have seen any of those actions or activities. Uh, you know that I certainly would have weighed in with vigor about how inappropriate that might be, uh,
0: Ch- Chairman Rogers. You talked a minute ago about the uh, collateral damage from this sort of sharp-edged uh, partisanship, and I'm wondering if one uh, example of that collateral damage is, uh, you know, back to the memos. Um, all this arguing about these dueling memos um, is, you know, if the the Democrats uh, can sort of uh, too e- easily. Dismiss uh, the FBI's uh, behavior in the uh, in the FISA uh, warrant application. Um, are you are you concerned that the FBI uh, relied too heavily on this steel dossier um, and uh, uh, that uh, that this was not a, a FISA application that was done uh, you know responsibly?
1: I do believe that they raised some really important issues. Were there conflicts of interest? Uh, and did those conflicts of interest influence the agent's decision in the affidavit? I think those are very legitimate questions to ask. There is a way to get those answers, and candidly, it's not in a very public uh, memo that excludes lots of information that might be in the, in the uh, application for the FISA warrant. And so, lots goes into those warrants. I would, if to, to come to that conclusion, I would like to see the application. I want to talk to the agents who actually developed the information, the probable cause that went into that application. Uh, and all of those agents uh, look through their sourcing materials, look through the co- the uh, corroboration materials for those sources. It's a 50-page document. And so I, my, my initial reaction was, wow, this is really devastating. And so I read the memo and thought, well, man, you're leaving out a lot. Even if they used information from that uh Uh, dossier, and some of the information in the dossier was tainted, if they could corroborate other pieces of that through other sources, then they would be able to submit that in the court. Now, the problem is we just don't know if that happened or not. And I don't know that happened or not by that memo. So there's two ways to do it. The committee could have done a bipartisan investigation, gone through that entire process. Remember, people who voted on it didn't even get to see the underlying materials. You so were, how do you draw, how do you come to a conclusion on what you think was in there if you didn't have a chance to read it? I just, I think that was candidly inappropriate and unfair if you're going to make that accusation to the FBI that you didn't give them the full due process of an investigation.
2: Have you, have you called up Devin Nunes and said, uh, Devin, man, what are you doing? I have
1: not talked to Devin Nunez. I have talked to several other members on the committee, and you know they're passionate that they think something happened. And I, as I try to remind them, okay, if that's true, then do a proper investigation. I don't. What you're doing is destroying the credibility of anything that you find, wow. because now people are going to find people are going to find what what you present as a partisan issue. And I, I, if you really passionately believe it. Then you'll get you. You will not be able to correct the problem in a way I think you'd like to correct the problem. If in fact that's what you find,
2: I had forgotten that the FBI agents association actually recommended you to replace uh, Jim Comey. Um, obviously, the president went another direction. He he, uh, uh, he nominated Christopher Ray. But had you gotten the job, and if you had done as Ray had done, and personally urged the White House uh, not to release this memo uh, because it was damaging to the, FBI, uh, uh, the FBI's FISA process, and then the White House ignored you, what would you do?
1: Listen, I and I, I've said this publicly before. I I think Ray is doing the right thing. You you can't take your toys and go home every time you have a disagreement with the administration or the White House. It's gonna happen and you're gonna have more of these. I doubt that you'll have less. And so I think his his position needed to be here's the position that I'm taking, here's why I'm taking it. Uh, and you know, the president gets to make that decision. You gotta wake up tomorrow and, and continue to build uh, and, and build on the successes of the greatest law enforcement agency it, literally in the world. It is the envy of the world. Uh, and that would, should be his job and his mission. And you know what? If he gets in another disagreement, I would argue he needs to lay his facts on the table, present his case, and he, he may or may not win the next one. But he can't just – every time if something bad happens, everybody says, oh, they should quit. You know, if, listen, if he asks them to do something illegal and says you're, you're gone or you're doing this, then it's time for him to to, to ha- take a principal stand and say, "I'm not doing that. I'm out the door." But at the end of the day, this is a policy difference uh, on this particular approach. I mean, I, 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 you know I think we walked through all the collateral damage I think does happen.
0: But Congressman, um, you know, you, you call it the greatest uh, law enforcement agency in the world uh, uh, and, and, and and agents need to keep to their mission. Um, But meanwhile, you have a president um, who is attacking the FBI on a regular basis, Um, you know, not just attacking the political leadership, the leadership of the FBI, people he appointed, um, uh, but also attacking the organization as a whole, saying that it's in tatters, the worst in history. Um, What how corrosive is that? What kind of an impact does that have uh, in the long term for, you know, you know, uh, people you know, brick agents. Uh, you know, you were you were a uh, a rank and file FBI agent. You were busting the mob. Uh, you were doing cases every day. How hard does this make your job when you're when you're getting attacked by the president of the United States?
1: Well, those, those those kind of sweeping comments will have consequences, and it's going to have consequences to the men and women who are actually doing just that. They're the ones kicking in the doors. They're the ones that are meeting sources in the in the alley trying to get them to do something that is likely not in their interest, but it's in the community safety and, and national security interest for sure. And I do worry about it. So we've already seen a couple of things happen. I think I told you earlier about uh, the Russians coming out and saying, see, that they, see the American FBI, their secret services, they didn't say FBI, are conspiring to take down an American president uh, and what they're basically saying is, don't you can't trust these people. Don't trust these people. So when the FBI tries to recruit a Russian uh, into giving us information that will protect the United States, they're going to think about that. And same with working brick agents, guys like me who were chasing gangsters around Chicago. People want to know, listen, my information is safe with you. My life won't be in jeopardy if I trust you, because I'm going I'm to cooperate in a way that risks my life. Uh, against some really bad people, they need to understand and have that faith and confidence. And when you're constantly barraging that confidence and that integrity, it will make their jobs much more difficult, and it will make our—candidly, and the the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians will use this kind of an approach uh, to communicate to people who we would be interested in talking to. We'd be in the American intelligence community that that listen if you do this you're taking your you're you're doing the wrong thing you're creating treason number one and number two you're going to trust an organization that just can't be trusted that has uh, absolute consequences and any acknowledgment that it doesn't, I think, is just wrong.
2: By the way, I, uh, I I loved reading up on your uh, early storied career as an FBI agent uh, in Cicero, Illinois, uh, busting the yeah. uh, uh, town uh, officials who were mobbed up. Um, I, I think it began. I read uh, you d- were doing surveillance on, at a at a brothel uh, that was uh, being run by the mob. But I mean, if How important in cases like that, where you're going after corrupt politicians, uh, that the FBI not be viewed uh, as um, in one camp or another or in any kind of partisan uh, light?
1: Oh, it's it's hugely different. You know, if there's Democrat machines and Republican machines and all of that exists around the country to some degree or another. And if you show up as an FBI guy and you're investigating, uh, you know, Republicans in this case, uh, people are going to, you know, they're going to raise their eyebrow a little bit, like, can I trust this person? And I, I do think that happens, you know, and, and people don't understand that uh, FBI agents work a lot by themselves. In the movies, you, you get to see, you know, herds of FBI agents running around doing things. A lot of times it's an agent, an individual agent out there schlepping around trying to figure out. A few pieces of information that advances their case and when you open those credentials and those credentials are hard-earned hard-earned uh, and you flip them up it, it, that fidelity bravery and integrity mean something and that's why it means something and it's so important to agents who take the oath because that's what gives you the credibility all the agents that came before you all the great busts that came before you all of that is represented when you flip up those credentials If someone is working and especially especially at the the top levels of our government to undermine what that means when those credentials go up you are there will be a price paid for that and that means people will be less trusting and uh more of a sense like you're just like all the other ones the reason they won't talk to their local police sometimes is they think they're corrupt if you've done a fine job of telling america that that's exactly who your fbi is we're going to be in trouble we're all going to pay a price for it now Not the end of the world yet. Not, you know, the the end of the FBI is not imminent. Uh, This is a very resilient organization. But these things will leave a mark.
2: But just to be clear, you do, uh, if I hear you correctly, blame the president for this because he's the one that's attacking the FBI. He's the one that's making these derogatory comments and suggesting that this was there was some kind of partisan cabal out to get him.
1: I mean, the president is a part of it for sure, and he's the commander in chief, and he did appoint both the AG and the FBI. My argument, if you want to find correction, excuse me, make corrections and and and, and try to find uh, folks who aren't doing the things appropriately, there's a way to do that within those organizations. Publicly beating on them is not helpful by the president of the United States. And I've also seen the chairman come out and say he believes there's corruption at the. Uh, you know, at the highest at the highest levels of the FBI, I think is the way they term it, which means there's corruption all through the FBI. And so I none of that is helpful. They need to get away from that. And, you know, and and to be fair here, the Democrats saying, well, there's absolutely nothing to see here. Move along. Let's just beat up on report. That's not healthy either. Because because if someone misused their position at all in, in the search of a warrant, that needs to be rectified and somebody needs to be held accountable. Now, it may or may not have happened. I can't tell what the information that's being provided today. Certainly some things look funny, uh, but without a full, uh, and I would argue at this point, independent investigation, we're just not gonna know the answer to that question. And all of the beatings of the Bureau, to make your political point, that's not an investigation, that's a campaign. And I just don't think that's healthy.
0: Uh, Congressman, um, you've been really generous with your time. Um, I've got a couple of quick questions. Um, uh, one, uh, just following on on this conversation, um, there's still rumors swirling around that uh, that that uh, President Trump might uh, fire Rod Rosenstein, who oversees the Mueller investigation or Mueller himself. Would that be uh, some kind of a red line for you? I mean, what would your reaction be to that?
1: Well, I mean, I don't I, everything that's coming out of there says that he's not c- contemplating doing that, and i I would hope that he wouldn't do that. I just don't think that would be healthy. I don't think it's some constitutional uh, you know crisis i 've heard that, and you know all you know all hell will break loose i 've heard that I, I think it's a very bad decision. it would be corrosive, uh, and I think it would in the long run hurt the credibility of the people who are trying to say that these folks did something untoward. Uh, I would let Mueller do the investigation, let it go i mean there's always the chance by the way, with all the speculation that Mueller comes out and says. Yeah, we found some things that were went wrong. Manafort was, you know, doing other financial dealings. Uh, you know, the other folks did something wrong as well. But there's no, we can't find collusion. Uh, and that to me would be the best of all worlds for the president to be, you know, uh, you know, cleared by this investigation so that they could move on. Hiring only is going to pick that scab forever, and it will never go away. And it will leave a credibility mark that I don't think he'll ever get over if he does it.
0: Uh, last question, uh, something that's roiling Washington today. How disturbed are you by these uh, revelations about uh, uh, Rob Porter, the staff secretary at the White House who controls the flow of information to the president, uh, allegations uh, that he uh, uh, you know, essentially beat his, his wives, domestic abuse, um, and uh, that uh, the White House uh, and John Kelly, the chief of staff, has known about this uh, for possibly months?
1: Yeah, well, it's, I mean, I boy, this drives me crazy. They, you know, this is where it gets to the sometimes the cover up is, is as bad or worse than the crime, hard to get worse than beating your wife. Uh, but the very fact that the FBI came back and said we don't recommend he gets a security clearance because he has something in his background and some systems failure in the White House. Uh, and I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe it didn't go to the chief of staff at that point. I don't know. But somebody knew. Somebody knew that the FBI came into the White House and said, guess what? This, I wouldn't recommend this guy get a clearance. He's got these problems in his history. And somebody in the White House overwrit that and gave him a extended temporary clearance. Well, I mean, A, you're the White House, you need to set the example for the rest of the community that holds those clearances. Uh, and if you don't think standards matter, why should they? Which means, you know. People are going to leak information that's harmful to the United States. That's what that ends up meaning. So it's it's more – go ahead. Sorry. Listen, I just – that's okay. I just argue they should say we're going to review this, we're going to find the problem, we're going to rectify the problem, and the people who are fitting the criteria of not eligible for a clearance will either uh, be put in jobs where they don't need it or be asked to leave. And that's the way they need to handle it. This whole notion of, I didn't know, and you knew, and I knew. I just don't think that's healthy either. Again, it just starts to continue erode their credibility.
0: But is it a systems failure or is it a leadership failure?
1: Well, at this point, it's probably both. I mean, I, obviously, the system failed. And clearly, somebody, whoever was appointed in the leadership position around it. And again, I don't know for sure. I would assume it's the chief of staff. Uh, but. Uh, you know, who knows, they may have delegated that particular decision, but if they did, they're not doing a great job here of trying to get out what exactly happened and how they're going to fix it. Uh, this whole notion of dodging the question, and it's awful now, but maybe it wasn't awful last week, but nobody knew about it, It's not a good answer.
2: Um, Congressman, I really, yeah, thank you for taking the time. Um, I hope you'll come back on Skullduggery, and next time, uh, if you do, I want to delve deep into your surveillance at the Cicero uh, uh, brothel and hear, <laughs> hear th- how that went down.
1: <laughs> it was a great case, by the way. They ended up taking down the mayor of Cicero, Betty Lurin-Maltese. Uh, uh, it, it, was a, it was a great, great case.
2: Yeah. All right. Great. Thanks a lot for coming on.
1: Thanks, guys. Thank you. it.
0: So, Mike, I think uh, Rogers had a lot of interesting things to say, uh, but let's start with the news because he made some pretty sharp comments about this story, um, about Rob Porter. Um, you know, first of all, he called it a system failure. He suggested it was a leadership failure inside the White House. Um, and he p- came pretty close to, to saying that uh, John Kelly, uh, the, ch- the chief of staff, knew about these allegations and didn't do anything about it. Um, I, you know, I thought maybe he would be a little bit more uh, retrospective about it, but he really uh, kind of went after the White House on this.
2: Yeah, he did. And look, um, this is going to be pretty dicey for Kelly, I think, because... Um, It's clear that um, the FBI was aware of these allegations of uh, of spousal abuse by Rob Porter. Um, He didn't get his security clearance because of it. They had, as I understand it, interviewed the ex-wives. So how much they shared with Kelly at this point, we don't know. But somebody had that information. Somebody at the White House knew about these really horrific allegations relating to um, Rob Porter, and whether it was John Kelly or somebody under him, we don't know, but um, somebody didn't do their job.
0: And, of course, all of this happening in the middle of the Me Too sexual harassment uh, scandal, which is affecting industries uh, you know, all, uh, all over the country, and the notion that if, if this is what happened... Um, There were these serious allegations that the FBI brought to the White House, believed the allegations were critical, and people in the White House either didn't care or chose to believe Rob Porter as opposed to the two women, the two ex-wives who say they were
2: abused. That's a big deal. Um, not to mention that they chose to ignore what the FBI was telling him, which actually kind of shed some light on the, um, uh, the more current controversy. I did also think it was pretty interesting that, um, uh, Rogers said he had reached out or he has reached out to his former Republican colleagues on the house intelligence committee and, uh, advised them. They are, uh, uh, too political in this Russia investigation and taking things too far. Um, In any case, uh, I think we're out of time. So thanks to our guests, Mike Rogers and Don Robinson, for joining us on this week's episode of Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk to you next week.